jumping on you and you're like, whatever, Professor Garbage. Uh, I guess we should start the episode, huh? I suppose, if you're so inclined. Alrighty. Hello, everyone. I'm Jason. I'm Laura. And welcome to Come Back a Star, a movie award cabaret. But not that kind of cabaret from the 1970s. This is more like authentic Weimar Republic cabaret, which was in the 1970s movie portrayed very well. But like, this is the real thing. Absolutely. Um, Being from the era and all. And uh, yeah, we are watching every Best Picture winner and nominee from 1927 onwards. And this episode is a little addition to that list. Uh, Number 025, The Blue Angel. Right. So we're deviating quite a bit. This is the third episode in a row where we're deviating from the official list just because 1931 is kind of a drought for nominees. Yeah, the general consensus, I guess, of film historians is like, this was especially a year where nothing that should have been nominated was nominated. So we're we're writing some cosmic wrongs. Right, right. Much to the chagrin, uh, supposedly, of my wife and your sister. I mean, she, she's upset we're not following the rules. And you know what I say to her? Whatever, Professor Garbage. Oh, oh. oh. I could say it. She's my sister. My sister. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, um. That would be a great thing for you guys to write in about if you're really upset about it or yeah. if you're 100% uh, on board with it. You can write to us at comebackastarpodcast at gmail.com. Do it. Or tweet at us at comebackastar. Or do that. So, yeah, let's get some interaction going. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. We're uh, we're really uh, breaking down the barriers between uh, uh, the reality of what the premise is and of just kind of we want to watch good movies. <laughs> I mean, there have been some good movies in this yeah. year. Like, I mean, nothing that really has blown me over. Blown me over, though. Is this still the same? Are we still in the same year as Trader Horn? That's like, yeah, I we we still are. Which oh, I, I feel like we need to make up for that for for like ourselves. We need to treat ourselves a little bit after mm-hmm. Trader Horn. Which, again, I strongly recommend none of you watch that, but we did, and mm-hmm. so we really have to pamper ourselves after that experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I also don't want to um, disrespect the other nominees. I mean, no. Skippy was good. Skippy, I really liked Skippy. Uh, Eastland was enjoyable, just frustrating. Mm-hmm. We couldn't see the end. Front and, Page also, oh, also yes. got a Notsker nominee. Yeah, Front Page is an excellent movie. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of cool, exciting stuff going on, nominated and not nominated. It's always just fun to get a glimpse of things from back then, but... Yeah, the Academy just overlooked some real gems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And let's see what we normally do um, is cover the nominees. But aside from that deviation, we're still going to stay on track with our usual formula for this episode. We are going to cover the plot of the movie and then we are going to rate them on different uh, categories, including acting, writing, cinematography and overall. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to give them a chance for some bonus points from uh, things like costumes and set and uh, maybe some some a little more, even more subjective, um, (laughs) some ratings, things like boldness, uh, legacy. What what did they kind of like leave for the genre and longevity? How whole? how well they hold up over time and uh, technical, what little yeah. technical touches did they add? Um, 
So I guess we should, um, oh, I guess we should also cover a little bit of um, how this movie barely counts. And I'm not even sure if it really counts as eligible for an Academy Award to begin with, uh, because it is a German movie. And we, um, we cheated extra by not watching the eligible version of it because it was filmed in both German and English. And we watched the German version. Yeah. I mean, cause apparently I, I, I'm not sure, but I feel like the English version would probably be forcing actors who weren't too familiar with the English language to kind of just, cause I know I read that Marlena Dietrich didn't know English too well back then. So I had to kind of just recite her lines phonetically. So I'm like, well, let's watch the version where the actors are probably the most comfortable yeah, with their yeah. performances. I mean, I would like to try watching at least a little of the uh, English version one of these days, but I, I, I like watching watching the original. Yeah, it feels like we would have had to watch it with subtitles either way. Yes, probably, especially because uh, the film star, Emil Jannings, part of the reason his career, even though I think he was the very first winner of the Best Actor Oscar for uh, in the late 20s, but I think that was a silent film. Uh, mm-hmm. His uh, sound crew just didn't take off because no one could really understand what he said in English. His accent was too thick. And that's that's a shame. That's a real shame. Yeah. And uh, this movie also kind of lent itself to a silent subtitled genre as well. Uh it really had its surreal bits like that you could picture perfectly in uh, a silent kind of uh, Weimar area. Yeah. Yeah. Earlier Weimar era. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there's always so many comparisons made between this and uh, Pandora's Box, uh, also a German film, but starring Louise Brooks as a very similar character to uh, uh, a newcomer named Marlena Dietrich's performance in this. So, yeah, that it's uh it was fun, though. I don't know if I've seen a sound film from the German era, aside from M, that this was this early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, another movie, as you pointed out, that should have been nominated but wasn't M. Right. I think M is not officially eligible because it was only released in Germany and then brought over. But um, we have come far, you know, seen as yeah. the last Oscar winner was Parasite, South Korean film. So... You know, progress is made sometimes. <laughs> yeah, M definitely deserving of a nomination, although we have seen some really great movies um, this year that weren't nominated. Uh, yeah. And a couple that were. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. M, fantastic movie. You should go watch it, but I don't think we'll be doing an episode on it. I mean, M is also one of those movies that has been studied and covered and discussed so often. That there's probably really not a whole lot that I know I personally could probably bring to the table. Um, I mean, it's a good movie. Watch it. There we go. That's the official uh, comeback star take on M. (laughs) But uh, yeah, should we jump right into Blue Angel? Yeah, we should jump right into the plot. All right. So based on the novel Professor Unrat by Heinrich, Heinrich Mann. Uh, Joseph von Sternberg's 1930 tragic comedy, The Blue Angel, begins in the Weimar, Germany of 1924. Professor Emanuel Roth, played by Emil Jannings, I totally screwed up the pronunciation of that, Emil Jannings. There we go. There. We'll just apologize right now in advance for all the butchering of German that we're going to I into. only took two years of German in college. You expect me to remember anything? 
Anyway, uh, Professor Emmanuel Roth is getting ready for the morning in his uh, small apartment, which I think we kind of decided was sort of like a boarding house slash dormitory. Yeah, it was a little bit difficult to tell. He has like a house servant, but it's not like someone that he pays specifically only for him. Kind of get the idea that she works and does does work for people all over this little apartment complex. So, and this is where, uh, cause you know, the German I did take in college, which I really remember is just kind of, uh, the lessons, not so much about the language, but kind of about the history and just the way the education system is set up there. So basically he's kind of teaching college or gymnasium as pronounced in, as said in German, which is like high school for people who are going to go to college. Okay. Like that, what we think of as college. So university. So kind of a prep school. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so he's very unpopular. He's an unpopular English professor. And his students call him Professor Unrat behind his back, which translates to Professor Garbage. Yeah, it's a it's a good time. And um, it it's a weird opening. At the same time, it's. This movie throws you off from the very beginning. You never you think it's going to go one way and have one tone, but then it totally switches around on you. And you're just like, it's very almost nightmarish. Yeah, it pulls you around. But at the same time, the fact that you're like willing to get pulled around. Yeah. Speaks to how powerful it is and what a good job they do. And it kicks off with this man who I don't know from the very beginning. I didn't like him that much. And he also kind of starts his day with finding his songbird has died during the night. Yeah, which I'm sure is laden down with symbolism that I still haven't quite hammered down in my mind yet. But um, yeah, Janice does some kind of incredible job with Wrath. I don't want to get too sidetracked, but I feel like he's by turns comical. Mm-hmm. Like almost like a caricature, like there's something kind of stylized almost about his performance of this pompous professor. But then at other times he's scary. And at other times it's just like you don't quite know what he's doing with it. So it's like his performance, like the movie, keeps you on your toes. Yeah, it definitely does. And I am sure there is symbolism to uh, to the songbird dying and then the. The house, uh, the house servant, she just kind of picks it up and tosses it in the furnace, kind of very matter of fact. Yeah, like, oh, it stopped singing long ago. Yeah. And it's kind of like everything in this man's life that's beautiful dies. Oh, that's a yeah, that's a good way of tying <laughs> it back in. Yeah. So, yeah. Foreshadowing, I guess. Very. And I kind of yeah, you could kind of call that from the beginning. Like, well, this is probably going to come back in some other form. Uh, after class, a group of students trip an unpopular, highly nervous classmate actually named Angst, A-N-G-S-T, uh, played by Rolf Mueller in front of Wrath. This guy, he, this kid is just so perfectly cast. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, right from the beginning, he's small. He's like so blonde. He almost looks kind of albino. Mm-hmm. And he's just... He's a definite wiener kid. He is. He is. And uh, your heart goes out to him, this little wiener kid. Yeah, and he's he's a suck up. You find him very first time you see him. He's washing the chalkboard before the teacher gets in. Yeah. Um. He's also kind of he's bullied by his fellow students and also the professor because one of his uh, classmates 
takes the uh, notebook that uh, is left on the desk that belongs to Professor Roth. And this uh, kid draws a little caricature of Professor Roth and rewrites his name to um, UN Unrat. Unrat, which I think is means garbage. Garbage. And yeah. yeah. And then he, when the professor finds this, he just has the wiener kid who's on his side erase it. I think it's he, and this is another testament to how he's kind of a crappy guy at this point. It's like he mm-hmm. knows that Angst is kind of weak, is, uh, he, he, it's like he smells out the weakness mm-hmm. and has no sympathy for it and just exploits it. And that probably also increases his unpopularity with his classmates. Yeah, he's unable to control the other students. So he yes. takes advantage of this um, this weaker student, which exactly. is not endearing him to me at all. No, at this point. no. Um, so anyways, he's tripped in front of uh, uh, Professor Roth and his papers spill out all over the stairs, which include pictures his bullies have planted of popular nightclub singer named Lola Lola, played by that newcomer I alluded to, one Marlena Dietrich. Mm-hmm. Uh, enraged, uh, Roth drags Angst to his apartment and demands to know where the pictures came from. Uh, Angst, 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 I'm not sure, confesses they were planted there by uh, students that are angry he doesn't join them on their nightly excursions to see Lola at the notorious nightclub, The Blue Angel. We have a title. Hooray. Uh, Rath decides to go investigate. And uh, this is where the movie really, I feel like, starts to go down a surreal turn. Like, it's been pretty, like, regimented of, like, you know, standard classrooms, standard kind of boarding house. Right. But then once he kind of travels down these, like, very obviously stylized sets of cobblestone roads into the more corrupt district of the village, you really get, like. Then you start seeing the, um, what is it called? Expressionism. Yeah, expressionism. Yeah, yeah that's being get pulled out again, and which is uh I always associate that with earlier mm-hmm. Weimar movies, but uh they, they pull it out yes yet again for for this touch and it's not extreme. No. It's just just enough to kind of unsettle you. Exactly. And that's kind of a theme for the whole mm-hmm. movie is like mm-hmm. just unsettling enough. Just unsettling enough, that's right. And it kind of builds. All right. Um So Professor Roth enters the Blue Angel and chases around students that he sees everywhere. Yeah, they're kind of just in all corners. Uh, He accidentally bursts into a dressing room where he sees a sad clown. Their clown, as he is referred to Mm -hmm. in uh, in the in the credits. Uh, This uh, their clown stares him down. Yeah. So let's talk about the clown for a little bit, because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of symbolism and foreshadowing in this character. He's just this sad, glum, kind of ghostly figure who just sort of like in this first scene, we don't really see him after the sequence, uh, follows Wrath around, just kind of studying him silently. And he's very sad and you just don't know what to make of him. But then you start developing theories mm-hmm. later on in the movie. Yeah. And actually, I was thinking about Der Clown and uh one of the things I've noticed about this movie, and I think might be one of the messages, is that no one is no one is good. Yeah. In in this entire movie, no one at least is entirely good. Mm-mm. You're not rooting for anyone. And 
I think the one exception maybe is Der Clown. Yeah. Because, yeah. and he's mute. Mm-hmm. So, mute. uh, so maybe, maybe he, if he wasn't mute, we, we wouldn't like him so much. Uh, and he's not even like that likable. It's just that he's inoffensive. He's just this kind of spectral figure. It's like he's almost a personification of like all the emotions that people are sweeping aside in this kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when the, when the curtain closes and the makeup's off. You're, we're all just kind of dazed clowns just going <laughs> around. I don't know. It's a good theory. It's a good theory. There's there's going to be a lot of like weird theories that pop up, I mm-hmm. think, while we discuss this. And it's again, it's a testament to how like unsettling the movie is. Yes. That these little theories don't none of them are like super strong, at least the ones that I've been thinking about. And nothing is too very spelled out for us, which I. Right. Right. As always. It leaves you leaves you blowing in the wind a little bit. Mm hmm. Uh, So, uh, Professor Roth eventually lands in Lola's dressing room, where, um, although he tries to lecture her about her entertaining his students, she proceeds to flirt with him and even undresses in front of him. Uh, Behind a screen, but Uh, only only just. Yeah, only just. And in the very beginning, she wasn't just, you know, when she throws her underwear at him, she's off screen. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, So, the manager of Lola's troupe and the magician of the of the group, Kiefert, played by Ger- Kurt Geron, enters and tries to ingratiate himself to the professor, thinking he's there to engage Lola for the evening. However, Roth spots his students again and flees in pursuit. It's only when he ends up back at home that he realizes he still has Lola's underpants that he has dropped that she dropped on his head <laughs> when she was undressing on the stairs, and he. And that was because, and this was a little bit unbelievable, but one of his students was hiding from him behind the, uh, behind the dresser, the, Mm -hmm. the dressing screen and sneaks up on him and stuffs the underwears into his uh, coat pocket. Oh, wow. I missed that. I think, cause there is a lot of action going on in the Mm -hmm. scene. It's very becomes a kind of like surreal farce in a lot of ways. It just, and Roth is just kind of a pull that, all these people, including Derek Clown, just kind of wander in and out of this dressing room as this woman is undressing right in front of him. And it's very awkward because Roth just for a long time, he just stand there, stands there, observes and says nothing. And it's very unnatural, like behavior. Yeah, I think you get the sense that he had an idea in his head how this would go down mm-hmm. and he was going to be the respectable voice of of morality to Waltz's in and gets her to stop somehow her <laughs> his students from attending her performances. And uh, obviously that's not going to happen um, because the students pay for one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also forgets his hat there. Um, which is, again, there's kind of like this sense of, oh, he just kind of happens to stumble into this. Yes. He had an idea of what's going to happen, and then his life kind of gets flipped around. Flipped flip, around. Flip turned upside, upside down, down, much like the uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, man. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air starring Marlena Dietrich. I would definitely watch that. <laughs> Will Smith would still be in it. Oh, for sure. Okay. The... uh that night, the students at the nightclub realized that it was Angst, who was the one who ratted them out. And they show up at his dorm, I guess. 
and beat him up in his bed. Yeah, they menace him beforehand because he's like he like wakes up and sees through the skylights like these shadowy figures kind of like uh, reaching out for him. And then, yeah, all hell breaks loose as they go down and just beat him up a little. But he's fine enough to but beat in him a very day. Weimar German way. Yeah, <laughs> which, which is they turn him over and spank him. Yeah, lots of spanking in German culture. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. Not not the savage beating that I would have expected, but no. But that's good for poor Angst. He's he's so he's so puny. He can't take that much. That's true. They don't want to break him. No. Uh, the next day in class, they're all relieved when a suspicious looking Roth doesn't mention the episode. However, the next night he returns to Lola's dressing room, ostensibly to return the underpants and apologize for his lecture. But it's clear that at this point he's infatuated with her. And uh I think that's when things really start to derails when he doesn't call out his students. The whole operation was for not. And I think his students lose a little bit of respect for him, a little bit more respect for him at that point. Right. It's already clear that they don't respect him, but but they at least fear him. mm -hmm. So that kind of instills an outward showing of respect. Yeah. They go, they go from fearing and loathing him to, to just loathing him. And again, on a deeper level, like this guy is also just morally corrupt and a hypocrite. Yeah, the I think it's the hypocrisy that really starts getting under their skin. Uh, let's see. So both amused and frightened, the students who'd been visiting Lola watch from underneath the trap door in her room as Lola continues to flirt with a nervous Roth, who proceeds to drop her cigarettes and blow her. And blow her powder all over himself. So at this point, you know, we were both, I think, kind of struggling to find out like what this movie was. And we had kind of settled on, I guess it's a comedy. Um, You know, I I mean, it's filmed in this very surreal way, but the stuff that's happening is very farcical. I mean, Mm -hmm. this big, bumbling, pretentious professor uh, sees this cute girl and just turns into a clumsy oaf, like scatters the cigarettes all over, Mm -hmm. gets powder over himself and coughs. Uh, but there is still this dark edge and this uh, sad clown that kind of makes you think, well, there's a reason this is called a tragic comedy. Yeah. And I think the comedic parts, you start to rethink them maybe a little bit as the movie goes on. Yes, exactly. That It all gets uh, just far more eerie light to it. But uh, Keepert enters and tells Lola that a sea captain has bought her champagne and wants to spend the evening with her. Lola doesn't want to. But Keepert insists on bringing the drunk captain in. Yeah. And this is when we establish that apparently, according to this movie, like German men either come in young, young student form (laughs) or in the form of like very weirdly shaped men. (laughs) Older men. Yeah, there are some strange looking folks in this. (laughs) I'm just going to put it that way. Yeah. Okay, so let's put it this way. The most normal looking adult male in this movie is probably Der Clown. Yes. And he's <laughs> covered in clown makeup. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, you can understand why Lola doesn't want any of that. Um, when the captain tries to embrace Lola despite her objections, Roth flies off the handle and fights the captain away. Just very, and you know, this is where you. One of the few times we root for Roth because he's, you know, it's clear that Lola doesn't want this creepy guy just falling all over her. And says he, you know, says she's not your private property. Uh, get out of here. He calls Keeper to pick. Yeah. 
And uh, but even then, it's a good thing that he does. But you can tell that it's kind of like, ah, this is my opportunity to be the white knight. And, exactly. Yeah. And endear myself to her. There's definitely that edge to it. That edge to he it. He does do the right thing. If uh, if someone is menacing someone else who doesn't want that attention, stepping in and getting into a little slap fight, that's probably better than just like just turning away. And I think it's also more foreshadowing in that he does have a hair trigger temper that is triggered by certain things. And that's true. And, and it's also an example of how he really has is already idealizing Lola and places her on this pedestal. Right. Uh, when at first, when he first came to the Blue Angel, he, you know, labeled her as a scarlet woman. Mm-hmm. But um, she is very nice to him. So he changes his uh, opinion quickly. Mm-hmm. And it is. And uh, so he chases off the captain. But this that he he has like this fit of nerves and kind of collapses in the seat and needs to be comforted by Lola and uh, Kiefer's wife, uh, Gusta. Mm-hmm. Um, Lola, to her credit, seems genuinely touched. Uh, he defended her, maybe a little amused by it, too. Yeah, it's a uh, it's like a weird sort of charmed by like, oh, look at this guy standing up for me because he because he thinks that he's a little white knight and it's kind of farcical. It's kind because, of darling. Yeah, I mean, because he's kind of a silly looking man. He's, he's, this, he's, he's huge, but he look he has like this ridiculous beard and just this ridiculous manner that really does kind of remind you of like this demented teddy bear. Yeah, little tiny little glasses and he fights off um, a captain that looks like Bippo from Superman. He does. Oh, God. <laughs> like, exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, let's take a moment to talk about Lola's character because, I mean, she's very enigmatic, really. Uh and, you know, kind of the standard man's idea of what a femme fatale is. But I think thanks to uh, Dietrich's performance, we get the sense that she's not like a sadist or uh, evil. She's just got very shallow emotions. I I kind of took it a little bit differently from the way that she kind of manipulates the uh, students and Roth she's- himself. I feel like there's a touch of sociopath about her. I mean, maybe. I think it's... Well, definitely, because she doesn't have, I feel like, you know, regular human emotions. It's all very much the surface. So she's very manipulative, very cunning. But she doesn't exactly mean wrong by it. She just is like, well, I kind of want what I want. Yeah, I guess there's there's a little bit of that. It's just kind of like, well, I want what I want. And also I enjoy get making these people do what I want. Yeah. And, and also it's I think it's also just kind of a um like a class power move that she can manipulate this highfalutin professor and the students as well who are obviously of a higher like social class than her yeah you get you get the feeling that she's been around a lot and has seen a lot and is very happy to take what's offered to her by people better off than her and you can understand that definitely but there is definitely like the deepest emotion she has is just amusement at people making fools of themselves over her. Yeah, yeah, she she definitely likes that, which again, I don't think anyone in this movie is good. Mm-mm. And as charming as Marlena Dietrich is, you also get like a sense of menace from her. Yeah, there every there's just a, a layer of menace over everything in this movie. It's very fascinating. So the the captain brings in the police and Lola hides Wrath below the, the trap door. However, uh, we hear below Wrath finds his students down there, too, and he busts his own cover and drags them up. 
with his righteous fury, he somehow avoids arrest. And Keepert makes him the guest of honor that night, sensing that Roth is head over heels now for Lola. And he's right, because Roth watches from his little special place in the balcony as Lola sings uh, the immortal song, Falling in Love Again, as he becomes more and more infatuated with her. He's also more and more drunk. He's more and more drunk, too. And that always makes somebody more and more infatuated. Uh, He wakes up the next day hungover in Lola's bed. Uh, She makes him breakfast, and he decides he's quite pleased with this arrangement. Uh, However, he panics when he discovers he's late for his class. Right. When when he enters the classroom, he discovers the students have drawn caricatures of him carrying away, like, Lola's leg, like, just her leg. Yeah, that was weird. I mean, it was an excellently done uh, set of caricatures. Yeah, I mean, mean, a talented artist, whoever the kid is who does this. Yeah, but he is also carrying off a disembodied leg. I mean, it's also very just an example of how someone like Lola is objectified. Yeah. You know, she is legs to them. Um, And they yell garbage at him over and over, having like after watching everything from like the trapdoor, they have absolutely lost all respect and fear of him as an authority figure. Uh, The headmaster, uh, everyone hears the ruckus and comes out to the hallway, but the headmaster who actually, for all that he's classist and kind of a jerk, he also seems like not the worst character in the movie. Like, yeah. like someone who, who kind of knows how the world works and knows it's unfair in a lot of ways, but has to do his job. And so he comes in and orders the students to leave. He takes in the state Roth is in. He's like disheveled and he has like a flower in his buttonhole from that Lola gave him. And the headmaster tells him that a woman like Lola isn't worth risking his career over. Uh, still idealizing her and keeping her up on that pedestal, the affronted Roth announces he's going to marry Lola, to which the headmaster tells him he'll have to report the incident and has such a like, oh, come on, bro, look about him about it. Yeah, it's just like, really? I really got Because, and also at this point, we find, the audience finds this whole concept rather silly as well. Yes. Like, I was a little bit surprised that he ended up in her bed and that she was making him breakfast. But- I think that also is kind of a testament to how she is. Again, that that's kind of malevolent rather than sweet. At least that's how I understood it. Because, I mean, does she really like him enough to just make him breakfast? Or is this sort of like a weird mocking him? I of- think it's a mocking. I think it's this amusement of like, she's amused by the idea of just for this morning playing house with this uh, you know, older fuddy duddy of a professor mm-hmm. who's obviously so into her. She's like, oh, sure, let's play house for like a like a, for just this morning. Uh, not realizing that she's planting the seed in him. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's shaping up to be a farce. And yes. um, Roth's boss sees this. Yeah, it is just like he refuses to take part. He, you know, it could have been full farce with him being this like really kind of blustery sort of like what you're doing what sort of guy but instead he's just very even killed like i've seen this kind of stuff before this isn't gonna work out so that is a second um i guess respectable character who isn't like pure malevolent yeah yeah uh so we have their clown and the headmaster and they both are just kind of sad both kind of just shake their heads at like the events around them it's an interesting parallel yeah So back at the Blue Angel, 
Lola is preparing to leave with her traveling troop to another city. Roth enters and proposes to her. At first, she laughs like a lot. Like a lot. She is so amused. She's just a constantly amused character. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. She, she laughs in his face. And I kind of figured like that was, oh, well, that's the end of that chapter because cl- clearly she didn't really like him in the first place. No, it was all just play acting. Yeah. But when she sees how serious he is, on a whim, she decides to accept. And we don't really get an idea of how quickly these events unravel, but they they do get married. And at the wedding celebration, Goost laments how terrible her marriage has turned out. And uh, Kiefert demonstrates his sleight of hand abilities by pulling three eggs out of a seemingly out of Roth's nose. That's kind of the joke. It's. It's also really obvious sleight of hand. You can see him palming the egg. But, <laughs> no. Um, Lola clucks like a chicken, and carried away by his newfound happiness, Roth proceeds to crow like a rooster. I, and that that was weird. That was weird, but also we did. It was definitely weird at the time when you look back on it. Lots of foreshadowing, guys. Lots of foreshadowing. Yeah, that is not the last egg pulled out of his nose. No. And it gets more sinister. <laughs> yeah, it only gets worse from there. The next day, they pack to leave on tour with the rest of the troop. And Roth objects to all the photographs of herself Lola packs to sell at shows. He says that as long as he has a penny to his name, no, not one will be sold. However, soon he has nothing to his name <laughs> and is reduced to trying to sell her pictures in between her musical numbers at the shows. So he himself and you see him transform at this point. He's more disheveled. He Mm -hmm. looks just kind of more haggard and and kind of gross as he tries to sell pictures of his of his wife. Yeah, it's a very gross character turn. Yeah, it's uh, it's unsettling. Yeah. Unsettling is the word of the day for this movie. Yeah. We as an audience do not like it. No. (laughs) Uh, He also helps her dress and make herself up for the shows. And although he occasionally snaps and tries to leave the undignified life he now leads, he finds he cannot leave his beloved Lola. And again, that's that's more of the somewhat sociopathic nature of of her character is that she is kind of just using him. And I feel like she, in a sense, not knowingly, but just kind of gloating over him. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this guy, he was so hoity-toity before, is now... Reduced to being her servant, servant. basically. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, five years pass, and it's 1929. We see Roth making himself up in the mirror. He is now the show's clown. Oh, man. And that really just kind of sparked an epiphany for me, that was the clown their clown we saw earlier uh a former lover of lola's or was he simply just foreshadowing for what his fate would be roth's fate yeah i mean the their clown in early on is kind of a pathetic character you see him around he doesn't say anything a keeper kind of you know yells at him for not doing their act right 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 and he just looks down dejected yep at that and there's a soullessness about their clown yeah and what's sad is we don't see Dare Clown, or unless... Yeah, we don't know what happens to him. Maybe like, he got his life turned around. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he woke up. But more likely, you know, once he finally sees maybe that Lola has discarded him for sure this time, 
I don't know, kills himself or something. We just don't know. That seems like the more expressionist German way. Yes. So probably that's it. So Roth, the once very dignified, stuffy, prudish professor, is now the show's clown. Um, And Kiepert comes in and announces they are to return to the Blue Angel, where curious onlookers will make Roth the starring attraction. However, the prospect of performing in front of his former students and colleagues horrifies Roth, who refuses. And at first, Lola seems kind of sympathetic in the scene. Like, she's like, don't torment the old man. You don't have to do this. But already she's calculating, such is the power of her abilities of persuasion, that he eventually agrees. And next we see they're all getting ready at the Blue Angel. Yeah, and um, the rest of the troupe is really playing up at like how successful this is going to be. And it kind of shows how delusional they are at Absolutely. a certain point. And more surreal too, because no real humans would probably act this way, but it makes sense in this weird surreal universe we're in. Yeah, because he's not a good clown and there's no indication that he's a good clown. No. I mean, clowning is an art. I mean, I, I'm sure, you know, the. I guess uh, they play up the professor image for him. And probably the joke is, ha ha ha, like this dignified guy, we're going to do stupid things to him. Yeah, very sideshow, Bob. Yes, yes. Which is funny because Emil Jannings kind of reminded me of Kelsey Grammer throughout. So. Oh, yeah, that's right. I um, you mentioning that. Uh, strongman Mazeppa, uh, who has been working at the Blue Angel, but is on his way out, frustrated with management, decides to stay when he runs into Lola, having fallen instantly in lust with her. Um, she obviously shares the attraction since he's baby one after Dare Clown, the only like normal looking man in this. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, normal-ish. Normal-ish. I mean, he's definitely off, but like in a more <laughs> masculine way, I guess. Um, she shares the attraction and in front of Roth takes Mazeppa upstairs. Uh, this kind of puts Roth in shock, and he tries to leave the Blue Angel, which is indeed just packed full of his former students and his colleagues. Uh, but Kiepert and Lola steer him on stage. Watching as Lola and Mazeppa flirt just off stage, Roth becomes numb and silent as Kiepert proceeds to humiliate him in front of the packed house. And this is just filmed just like a nightmare. Oh, yeah, because he's just sitting there like a sad clown. Yeah, as everyone he he wants, you know respected and who respected him are there standing staring at his humiliation and laughing it's super pleasant yeah it's a nightmare we've all had that nightmare yes and it's coming where we're a sad clown on stage everyone's laughing at us yeah everyone who uh we wanted wants uh we want to respect us yeah is just laughing at us and there are a few people who stand up and i think one of them is a former headmaster like this is awful don't do this but they're drowned out um, Keeper becomes enraged when Wrath won't crow like a rooster when he pulls eggs out of his nose. See, it comes back full circle. And so he breaks them repeatedly over his face. Yeah, and I also want to point out, and maybe this was also true back then, maybe their senses of humor are not that different from mine, but that wouldn't have been funny in the first place. Mm-mm. Just crowing like a rooster after you pull an egg out of his nose. No. Like, that's not... That's not the star attraction this entire town well, has, has to see. And it shows just, you know, what a slimy character Keeper is. He probably doesn't really care too much about the quality of the act because he knows that the people out there just want to see Wrath humiliated because all of his former students who hated him are there. Mm-hmm. And so he knows that to give them a good show, 
he's got to humiliate the heck out of Wrath. And he does succeed in that. Right. However, when Wrath catches sight of Mazeppa kissing Lola, his mind breaks and he starts crowing uncontrollably to Kiepert and the audience's horror. Yeah, it is a screech. And oh, my goodness. It, it is, is a terrifying scene, like super unsettling. Yeah. Imagine a clown that looks sad, disheveled, j- just looks horrifying to begin with. And he's really he's this big lumbering bear of a guy. Yeah. And he just starts screeching like a dying rooster. And then imagine your Lola as he starts like crowing and like tearing away the curtains to get at you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But anyways, you uh, you take it from here. Alrighty. Yeah, he he tears backstage and corners Lola in the dressing room and tries to strangle her before he's subdued by Mazeppa, Kiepert, and others in the Blue Angel. Uh, Mazeppa uses a straight jacket, I'm assuming from a, an escape yeah, artist of, type yeah. thing, uh, to secure Roth in his closet. After giving him a cooling off period, Kiepert releases him. Roth watches as, as Lola sings Falling in Love Again on stage. He then breaks into the college at night and makes his way back to his old classroom. The night watchman finds him collapsed on his desk, gripping the ends of the desk tightly, presumably dead. Yeah. Fade to black. Fade to black. That is the end of Professor Roth. Yeah. So there is a twisted kind of brilliance to this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that is unsettling, not always pleasant to watch, but it, it sticks in your mind like a nightmare. Yeah. No one. And I think this might be, again, I'm guessing at the at the uh, intent of the picture, which is always a bad idea, but I'm going to do it anyways. Everyone is terrible. Mm -hmm. Everyone around this character is ugly and they are motivated by different uh, motivations. There are people who are just greedy. Mm -hmm. There is uh, Professor Roth and his kind of desire to control the people around him. There is Lola who is uh, taking advantage of her control over other people. Mm -hmm. Um, The strong man is not cool because he just moves in on someone else's. Yeah, he's obviously a predator. A predator. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. The students are mean. Yeah, like, there's their clown, the headmaster, and arguably Angst is, I mean, he's a squealer, but you can understand why. Yeah. Uh, so he's kind of sympathetic. The rest, and but it's funny, all these, the decent characters are just very sad people. And yes. so it's like there's no real happy outcome for anybody except maybe Lola. Like, I think, you know, her last performance of Falling in Love Again compared to her first performance, which is kind of giddy and girlish and flirting, you know, with Roth. But now she seems more confident. Mm-hmm. She's even got a little top hat on and she's just very kind of secure. And you get the feeling that she's probably going to be all right, no matter what she does, because. Yeah. You really can accomplish anything if you have no conscience. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess you that's know? the point. And so and I think that's what ri- rises to the top. But yeah, no, this movie is chock full of fascinating trivia. So uh, Joseph von Sternberg and Emil Jannings had both had careers at Hollywood. Uh, Joseph von Sternberg uh, was doing a lot better, though, than Jannings, because, again, Jannings' uh, accent 
was difficult for uh, American audiences to understand. So uh, he talked uh, Sternberg into going back to Germany with him, hoping that this would be an international hit and would put him back in the spotlight. But much like, as people have pointed out, this movie is the tale of the fall of Professor uh, Roth and the rise of Lola. It's kind of the (laughs) same. Uh, Emil Jennings gets totally overlooked in favor of Dietrich. Because this was her breakout oh, right. role. And there are so many different stories about how Dietrich was even cast in this. Oh, yeah. Because um, I guess there was another, there were like several actresses considered. And one actress was hired. But this, I guess the main story goes that Dietrich came in to uh, audition for just like a bit part. And at this point in her life, she was mostly a chorus girl. She'd had a few bit parts in movies. But she was 29, which, you know, is later for them, like most people get, you know, young ingenues get their careers really started. So she was kind of jaded and she just walked in already with the attitude that she wasn't going to get anything. And the story mm-hmm. goes that Sternberg saw her, saw this kind of world weariness turn, was like, that's Lola. Mm. And um, they ended up having a notorious affair. Oh and my. and uh, Jennings noticed this and apparently would throw tantrums on set that, you know, this newcomer was getting all this attention from the director and he wasn't getting any. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, when will there be love for Professor Roth? Never. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, it was a big scandal. It ruined uh, Sternberg's uh, marriage. And he and uh, Marlena went to America together. Um, and had a string of more successful movies. I think Morocco, which is another of her big hits, was a Sternberg. <laughs> I thought you were about to say more successful affairs. <laughs> well, Dietrich certainly did go on to have like affairs with the likes of Gary Cooper. So, um, and of course, have her own exciting life. Uh, you know, Molly and Dietrich really is one of the coolest and most fascinating characters right. in Hollywood history. She did more for the World War II effort than any other star and uh, probably than a lot of other like politicians and people who should have been helping right. out more, um, sold more uh, more bonds. She uh, and Billy Wilder formed a union to get uh, uh, Jews out of Germany. She went to the front lines and put herself in danger again and again and again. And when someone asked her why, she's like, it's the decent thing to do. Right. Um, You know, because the Nazi party kept trying to lure her back with like big offers and everything. And she's like, no, and denounced her uh, German citizenship and became a U.S. citizen. Uh, She even uh, disowned her sister, actually, when she because she went to Germany, looked for her sister, was so scared of what happened to her sister, only to find that her sister and her husband were running uh, a film house for Nazis. Oh. And so she's like, even in her autobiography, she, she states she was an only child. She just totally cut out her sister. Um, fascinating. Um, not quite openly bisexual in the way that stars are allowed to be today, but just she was just about as close as you can get. Mm. Um, so she was she was just a really she's a groovy gal. And I think she really does carry this picture away. And you can't quite I can't quite put my finger on why. But there's something about her that just is intriguing. She just has a very powerful presence mm-hmm. and a very powerful character. This character that could be so easily just a femme fatale mm-hmm. or so easily just like someone completely out of it. Uh, 
she manages to capture this sense of like conniving, but because she doesn't know any better. Yeah. I mean, she obviously doesn't have much choice in how she lives her life. Mm-hmm. Um, so she takes as much control as she can in her, in this sphere she's living in. Um, <laughs> unlike uh, Marlena Dietrich, you could totally see Lilla as like a future Nazi collaborator, and oh, then, yeah. but then jumping ship once it turned south, like just that kind of character. But again, there's no real deliberate malice, just amusement, mm-hmm. just this amusement that oh my gosh, I have this much power over guys. That's kind of fun and funky. Yeah, she's completely apathetic about what she's doing. Um, yeah, it's not like she's out to hurt Professor Roth. It's just kind of like, oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, she doesn't really want to hurt him and she does stick up for him sometimes. But she also kind of, you know, starts to see him as this big nuisance, like this big sad guy hanging around her without not really contributing much, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, it's just a it's it's just a very fascinating performance. And I Emil Channing's, I think is very effective. It's but like the movie itself, it's a very stylized odd performance. Like sometimes he will just kind of go silent and look around. Yeah. Like he can't quite believe the reality of his surroundings. Yeah, that's a it's a good observation. And speaking of their performances, should we go into yeah, rating go into these it. guys? Let's 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 rate them. All right, so our first category is acting. Uh and I'm going to say this movie does it well. It does it very well. I'm going to, um, I'm trying to think of like a weak point, but I really can't. Everybody was very good, I mm-hmm, think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'll give it a 10. Why not? Right off the bat, let's give it a 10. Yeah, I think I'm going to give it a 10 as well. Um, Little Angst really like sticks in my mind as just being perfectly cast. He looks like a believable like high school student, for one thing. Um, and just his little expressions are just so desperate that you're like, uh, I'm anti-bully, but you could definitely see why someone who was a bully would want to shove him right into a locker. <laughs> yeah, there, there is that. And I mean, we've just talked about Marlena Dietrich and her amazing performance. Um, Emil Jennings is also very good. I yeah. Think. And I, it's too bad. His career kind of came to a standstill after this, but there's not much else you can go from this performance it's a good sum up of his yeah talents, probably i mean it's also just like a difficult role to like to pigeonhole exactly yeah. it's like the unlikable sad clown yeah. is not a common trope in a lot of movies and it just yeah the weirdness of his character like at times he seems like a caricature of a bumbling like infatuated pretentious professor and then the next he's terrifying mm-hmm. it's very hard to pin him down which is intriguing yeah yeah um, how do we feel about the, uh, how do you feel about the writing? Um, a lot better than, uh, Heinrich Mann, who wrote the book did. He thinks, uh, Sternberg gave too much sympathy to, uh, the professor. Apparently, you know, he was very, uh, Heinrich Mann was very anti-bourgeoisie, really, you know, kind of made Roth even more unlikable than he is in this. But I think for the movie, it really works. Um, I think yeah, you, he's not that likable. <laughs> he's not that likable. I mean, he does inspire sympathy because even as unlikable he is, he does not deserve the public humiliation, especially a character like him who is so sensitive about his image uh, to go through that. Um, I think it's more powerful that way, too. It is. Yeah, it's just very that powerful. We, we don't know. 
we don't feel like catharsis from him suffering. It's just kind of awkward. And we feel like, I guess the audience feels the same way as the people who are kind of shouting like, hey, don't do that to him. This is. Once he starts crowing and people see, oh, this big guy has just snapped Mm -hmm. and is full of murder. So I think I'll give it. I think I'll give it another 10. I don't know, man. Yeah, it's hard to not give it a 10. Yeah. Um, yeah, it. what it wants to do is unclear, and it achieves that perfectly. That is a great epitaph <laughs> right there, my friend. I love it. Perfectly put. All right. How do you feel about the cinematography? Another 10 right away. Um, beautiful work. Do you remember that scene? I don't even quite know where it falls in the chronology of the movie of the real close up of like the cuckoo clock mm-hmm. and the little figures that come out. It's very creepy. And it's just like a real close up of just each of these little wooden characters just kind of coming out and doing their little clock thing. And is it like, are you saying that we're all pieces of a little cuckoo clock that come out at certain times? Or is this just something you wanted to film all, because you're. All of these characters are on a little track and it seems inevitable too. That's another yes, sense that you get yes. from this movie that there isn't really a point where you say like, oh man, if only this person would have done this because you never see that kind of character making a better decision. You're a very good point. Yes. Like the professor, like, oh, if only he hadn't, the closest thing you can get is like, oh, if only he hadn't ended up at the blue angel. Yeah. I mean, if only he hadn't been a jerk, but being a jerk is his character. So it's like he doesn't, uh, it's his fate. And Oh, gosh. I mean, it really is memorable to me when he loses it on stage. And uh, there's these very kind of like gauzy curtains that he just he like stampedes through to get to Lola. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of shot from Lola's point of view. You're seeing this monster in clown makeup. It's like more than it. Like this must have really inspired a lot of terror of clowns. This big old figure in clown makeup barreling towards you through these curtains. It's mm-hmm. beautifully shot. So, yeah, the I think the cinematography is pretty unreal. I'm going to give it a 10 as well. And this this movie so far is really, really racking up the points. Which is strange because I was almost put off by the movie at first. But the more right. I thought back on it, I'm like, it did, like I said, have that twisted brilliance to it. And so overall, how well do the acting, writing and cinematography work together? I think for an overall product. I think just for overall, I am going to give it like an eight because it did take a while for it to have it, that impact on me. Almost. It was like a delayed effect almost. Yeah, I can see that, too, because after directly after watching it, I was just kind of like, what did I just watch? Yes, exactly. Which I guess is kind of the point is what I realized kind of a day later. And then after having this whole conversation with you on, yeah. on air. It's like, oh, that's brilliant because that's exactly how you're supposed to feel about it. It's like, what did I just see? Yeah, what did I just see? What was yeah. that whole experience? Usually when I go to the movies, there's at least one person that I like, but yeah. none of these people were cool. None of these people were cool. And yet, like, you still, you know, feel it's like more of a, like an intellectual sympathy than an emotional one with Roth. It's a very like unemo- like desensitized movie. So it's like hard to say you like love it, like, yeah, because it's not it's not meant to be loved. It's meant to be this like kind of stylized 
capture of like the worst, I guess, of the Weimar Republic. Yeah. It's the worst of humanity. The worst really. of humanity. Yeah. Uh, it's it's ugly and it's supposed to be fun. That's the whole thing. It's like mm-hmm. a cabaret is supposed to be this fun, good time. And instead it's ugly and it's got the feel of like a horror movie. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, it really, really does. It's a tragic comedy filmed like a horror movie. It's very strange. Yeah, I'm going to give it a nine. OK, that's probably fairer than my grade, but I'll stick to my eight. <laughs> OK, let me uh, calculating this out. Okay, so going into the bonus rounds, they are already at 77. Doing good. Which uh, puts them uh, beyond East Lynn, even before even before Lynn? bonus points. Wow. Good job, Blue Angel. Blau Angel. Okay, so how do we feel? Speaking of bonus points, let's get into those bonus points. And how do we feel about costumes and set? Got to get a fiver from me. I mean, beautiful expressionistic sets. Uh, the costumes were great. I think, you know, there's the, you know, the cute kind of glitzy outfits like Lola and uh, her fellow nightclub performers wear, but also really good at doing the opposite of like making Roth look so slovenly mm-hmm. and uh, degraded, the more slovenly and degraded he gets. So I think that's all very effective. I'm going to give it a five as well, just exactly for the reasons that you just mentioned. Um, the costumes and set really do play a part in the movie. Yeah. So unlike some of the movies that we've reviewed recently, where it's kind of like, you know, appropriately, mm-hmm. it's just what people wore back then. Right. Where you can neither that just award points to really, or subtract yeah, points. That really. just really happened to ping all my uh, uh, fashion tastes in this time <laughs> period. So it's an unfair bias. But this, it's different, you know. This, they they made the costumes play a part. Yeah. Absolutely. How do we feel about boldness? I'm going to give it a five. You know what? I'll give it a big five. Um, I mean, it might not be admirable, but it sure is bold to just complete take a character like Wrath and just completely strip him of all dignity. Yeah, it was bold that they didn't even bother making a movie with someone that you could really root for. Right. Um, that is a narrative risk. It's against what we usually see in movies Mm -hmm. and they made it work. It it had a strong impact. Yes. Very strong. Yes. Again, like it kind of a watching a train wreck happen, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, you don't know anybody on board. You don't have an emotional attraction, like attachment, but it's like, Holy crap, this train just derailed. That's horrifying. And I just saw it happen. Okay, so the next chance for bonus points will be Legacy and how this movie impacted movies coming after it. This is where I think it might not gain as many bonus points, and I think that's probably unfairly due to its boldness because there, I I can't think of another movie that is like this exactly. I actually am going to disagree with you and give it another five because it has, I think it, um, I mean... The film itself, you know, came towards the end of the Weimar Republic and the movies during the era following were not like this. That is true. Mm -hmm. But when you look at how it gave birth in a lot of ways to Marlena Dietrich. Oh, that's a point. That's a point. And um, so it's kind of immortal because of that, because that character of Lilla really became like Marlena Dietrich's persona in a lot of ways. She played Mm -hmm. characters like that again and again. So 
I think it just because of that alone, I think I'll give it a five. But I see where you're coming from. I'm going to go ahead and give it a three. You, you've bumped me up. Oh, cool. Um, and yeah, those are all good points. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're more familiar with the career of Marlene Deeker than I am. Um, but yeah, those those all make sense. I just don't see that many people copying from this. Maybe in terms of some of the shots and art style of that like menacing look, especially as he comes through the curtains and everything like yeah. that. I can see that influencing just like later shots of like, how do you make someone absolutely terrifying? Right, right. Um, but I think almost the almost antiquated expressionist yeah. uh, touches are awesome. Um, I don't see it really pulling forward. There's just like a lot of things that this movie had to do that don't link up with any other story. That's a good point. Yeah. And I don't think that's the movie's fault. It's just, yeah, it, just, it, is it's how just, it is. It's just, it's just sad that it came at a time where that kind of movie's time was up mm-hmm. really. And America wasn't really interested. Hollywood wasn't interested really in replicating that except for like the Lola character. Right. That's really the thing that survives. And that's due to Dietrich. Oh, absolutely. Our next chance for bonus points. Longevity. How well does this movie stand up? I have Uh, weird feelings about this. Like, yeah, it's it's tough because. Obviously, it's mission to make you completely uncomfortable with all humanity. (laughs) Yeah. It still works. Yes. I don't know anyone who would watch this in a modern audience, even if they're not like academics or anything like that. Just. Going away uh, indifferent. Yeah. Just like coming away being like, oh, that was fun. (laughs) It's not. It's not a fun movie. It's not a movie that leaves you with a good feeling. It's Mm -mm. a movie that leaves you like that was a nightmare. Yeah, that was that was. I mean, it really does just have that nightmarish feel Um, from the. Like from the moment he goes to the Blue Angel for the first time with the cobblestone streets and the people like the clown just wandering in and out at random as he's trying to talk to Lola. It's so off-putting. And that's why it's like modern audiences who aren't used to that kind of expressionist style might get like kind of fed up with it almost. Mm. Not knowing where it stands, where to stand with it. Um, but at the same time, you know, it does draw you in and it's fascinating. So I think I'll go three. Three? Yeah. I think I will, gosh, I was debating between three and four because it, it, it's so effective and it doesn't feel dated exactly, yes. even though it is like, even it's set in 1924 despite this being 1931 picture. Right. I thought uh, that was interesting. Yeah. It's like so they knew their time was kind of up for this kind of picture. Yeah, the writing was bit. probably on the wall to savvy folks at this point. Cause uh, the Weimar Republic ended in 33 and this was came out in 3031. So they probably knew that. Yeah. Time was coming to an end. I think I'll match your three. Okay. Um, I think you've, you've convinced me. <laughs> oh, well, wonderful. Wunderbar. And last chance for technical points. Um, I mean, last chance for bonus points is the technical category. Uh, Pros. I think that the sets and we've already caught, you know, caught this in costumes and set, but there was 
I don't know, a technical skill to all these mm-hmm. shots that they made with it. And everything is so woven together in this movie. Right. Like, uh, I mean, I think, you know, does very well recording, you know, the songs and, uh, you know, capturing his creepy crowing at the end. Yeah. The one point, the, the negative is that whenever they opened a door and there was some sort of performance going on outside, it like suddenly went from silent to playing the music and whenever they closed the door, it suddenly went from like hearing the music to dead silence. And it's it's hard to tell if that was on purpose or not. Was it done that way to further disorient us to be kind of farcical or was it just by it accident? It threw me off a little bit. Yeah. To be honest, it's kind of like, well, that was that just feels like cheaply done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good point. Maybe I'll go for another three three okay oh gosh this is a big one for me let me see because that the positives are so positive and that one negative it is pretty negative because a lot of scenes (laughs) happen with it happening uh i'm i'm gonna be rough on it i'm gonna give it a two okay that that was that was a big thing they had a chance to really do something with sound and make it feel realistic which it wasn't I think a part of this is that it does feel realistic despite it being nightmarish. Yeah. And I, so that's why I think that the, the abrupt, like closing coming in and out of, of music is, is a little bit weird. A little bit jarring. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's add this all up. And by let's, I mean you. Okay. We are at a total of 116, which puts (laughs) it one point above public enemy yeah i mean okay i think it does in a way i wouldn't say it takes more risks than public enemy but just hmm. it is still a little bit below little caesar okay i think that's weirdly enough yeah i mean they're all about the same level of good i think just in very different ways Mm um yeah so that's Blue Angel. It was remade once in the in the late fifties uh, with uh, Swedish star Mae Britt because originally they were going to have a little actress named Marilyn Monroe play the part, but she turned oh. it down. I think if anyone other than Marlena Dietrich was going to pull off Lola, it would have been someone like Marilyn Monroe. But uh, yeah, otherwise this really hasn't been touched since. It's like it really you just can't. You can't. You captured a moment in time that is now gone. With actors that are now gone. That with actors that are now gone that you can't replicate. Um it, it's a what of a kind experience. Uh be in a good frame of mind when you see it, because it does mess with the head. Okay, our final question is. Are we going to nominate this for a Natsuka award? I mean, it got a lot of points. Yes, that's for sure. I just, but I, it is also bizarre. It is bizarre, and I feel bad because I feel like we've given Natsuka noms to everything we've watched this year, save Trader Horn. Um, but I am going to have to give this the Natsuka nom just because it has these fascinating, wonderfully done elements that I don't know if it deserves to win but it definitely deserves to be listed up there what do you think i felt this way i felt the same way about sunrise um yeah a tale of two humans a tale of two humans not made by aliens we swear uh yeah yeah i mean like it's almost 
it's almost too much of an artistic masterpiece. And, yeah, a little too. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I've been debating between like, would I give it a Notsker nomination or give it its own special award? Oh, um, good point. Kind of like the circus. Kind of like the circus. Kind of like um, Sunrise. Um, it's just, it's less a movie as much as an experience. Very well put. Do you want to give it a, spe- a special little artistic Notsker nom? Let's give it an artistic Notsker Okay, nom. switch Just, right over to that too then. I think that's okay. fair. We're going to have to like do something when we do the roundup where we uh, say what we think is the best movie out of all these, but then like actually give like a Notsker to the ones that were officially nom- nominated and then a special one to the ones that we've done that have been off. The, we could do that. Yeah, off the written. Off the track. Off the track. Yep. Uh, off script. When we went wild, when we went rogue. We went rogue and were a strong man who kissed Lola in front of the crazy clown. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we have gone a little bit later than, uh, than we usually do with, with, uh, with an a ordinary lot to unpack movie review. Here. Yeah. And yeah, 100% deserved. There's a lot to unpack, like you said, and it's, I mean... If you want to test yourself, go watch it. Mm-hmm. If you're not in the right headspace to like experience a nightmare, if you want something lighthearted, then then don't watch the Blue Angel. Don't watch the Blue Angel. We haven't really watched much lighthearted fare this time around. Everything has at least some dark element, even Skippy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, the depression had just started. Give people a break. <laughs> but I almost feel like Little Caesar was fun. Yes, as dark that's as it true. was. That's true. You know. Good point. Yeah, I think so far, if I was going to give one, Little Caesars kind of at the top of the list. I guess we're going to return to actual Notsker nominees, like Oscar nominees with... uh, Cimarron is is the actual official winner. Yeah, I guess we got to tackle that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was debating on whether we should include City Lights as well, but... Charlie Chaplin has enough awards. Yeah, I mean, watch City Lights. It's a great movie, but, you know. We we can't deviate from the script for this long. For this long, yeah. That's uh We're we're going to get we're going to reach the point where we cover more <laughs> non-nominated for best picture uh, films than uh than we do for nominated ones. So, let's I guess we're going to kind of keep it on track here. Sorry this was for a, Yeah. This sorry was, for the diversion. Saw this was a fun three episode diversion. Uh, it's all business as normal next week. Absolutely. And Cimarron is a Western, your favorite genre. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, everyone. Um, You can find us, like we said earlier in the episode, on Twitter at ComebackAStar. You can email us to let us know um, how you feel about Blue Angel. Did you get those same nightmares? Mm -hmm. And you can contact us at ComebackAStarPodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page, which we are inconsistent about. Absolutely. But it does have some followers, so we should probably do a little bit better with that. And that's just going to kind of be the thing that we say at the end of every episode, (laughs) it feels like, for a while. Pretty much. Until we get our act together. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, we'll end up like Dark Clown. Dark Clown, just wandering listlessly through our various empty social media accounts with a sad, sad face. And giant collar. Oh, yeah. Gotta have the giant collar. Okay, everyone, we're going to pull the curtains down, turn the projector off, and see you later.
Good night, everyone. Night night.